Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week I'm so pleased to bring you an episode, another episode on body image um, that I've wanted to bring you for so long because I have been trying to get this guest on for months now. We are joined by Ashley Bennett, who you may know as at body image underscore therapist on Instagram. Now, Ashley is an art therapist, a counsellor and an author and we do discuss her, her book that will be out next year. And she is just brilliant. She really is just brilliant. And we had such a great conversation about the terminology used within body image. Um, you know, you may have heard things such as body neutrality, body acceptance, body confidence and we kind of tried to establish what the differences are with those. And then we also get on to... Um, as maybe a more controversial topic of whether we need to have um, images of people in smaller bodies um, showing cellulite, showing stomach rolls and if they're helpful and um, yeah if we need those Instagram versus reality type imagery and I really hope you get a lot from this discussion because I certainly did um, so if you did enjoy it make sure to use the hashtag train happy podcast tag us at train happy podcast and without further ado let's get into the episode Ashley welcome so much to the podcast I have been wanting to have you on for a while now you've been one of my kind of like top of my list to have on the podcast I'm so happy we finally manage to like make this work um for everyone listening I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself let people know who you are and what you do yeah thanks so much Tally for having me on I know it's been quite a journey to get here but I think all of these things work in you know right timing um yeah so I'm Ashley Bennett I'm a body image therapist based in Melbourne Australia and I um, do art therapy and counselling, just general talk counselling. And I think we'll talk a little bit about art therapy a bit later on. Um, I'm quite prolific on social media. I have a lot of thoughts and it's been, you know, a pretty helpful outlet for me to communicate that for my own healing and also as education for other people. So that's me. You're one of my favourite people to follow and everyone should immediately go follow it's at body image I think underscore therapist is that right yeah yeah you can tell because I tag you all the time because <laughs> like literally every other day there's a quote on there and I'm like something to do with body image or, and I'm just yeah love it like that speaks in so much so I get so much from your work so I really appreciate what you do um you're welcome you mentioned you're an art therapist and you also say in your kind of bio you do body image work internalized fat phobia, trauma, embodiment, pleasure and recovery and I'm just curious how you came to work in that space and um, kind of what brought you there? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a little bit of a journey so I think I'll begin 
um, just a bit more generally in that I identify as a wounded healer. And I think that's a Jungian term. So you would find that a number of therapists become therapists because they've been through their own experiences. And something that I was noticing throughout, um, you know, my recovery process or just, you know, my evolution as a human is that when it came to body image, we weren't really talking about it in the context of weight stigma or fat phobia. It was always within quite a weight-centric diet culture conversation. Um, and the body image work that we would hear a lot about was for people who were already in smaller bodies. So it was almost like convincing them that, no, you're not fat, you're okay. And there's a lot of reassurance in that. But, um, yeah, what I was noticing is that we weren't talking about weight stigma and fat phobia and um a part of what really propelled me into this was after my master's, I started a research degree and I was looking at internalised weight stigma and we can maybe unpack some of those terms a little bit later on um, in my uh, thesis. So I was coming across all of this information that I remember reading some of these papers and literally just fist pumping in the air, thinking, what the heck, where has this information been all my life? Um, yeah, so I knew I needed to go down that path and really specialise in it. And it's, yeah, it's become such a, a needed area. People think, oh, body image, it's just for teenagers, but it actually requires quite a specialisation, I think. And when, I, when I'm talking about, you know, in the context of like this wider conversation, when I'm talking about um intuitive movement intuitive eating all these things so much of i think the piece of the puzzle that kind of holds people back from fully embracing these ideas and these approaches is the impact it will have on their bodies and therefore mm. how that will change their body image so i agree that i think body image is so important in terms of like it it, it needs to be as much of a part of this conversation and as much as and a huge part of this healing work when we're talking about our relationships yeah. with food and exercise as well, that we can't just ignore it. So you mentioned the terms weight stigma, weight centric. Um, I would love mm. you to just kind of break those down for people listening. Cause I think um, you and I kind of um, have a, a good understanding of that, but um, yeah. How, how do you define those? Yeah. Yeah. So weight centric is, is a name for a paradigm. So it's a particular paradigm that focuses on body weight as a measure of health and as a measure of success as well. So we're looking at things like diets and um, any kind of regime, like exercise regime that's trying to focus on really changing someone's body weight. That's what I mean by weight centric. So it's very focused on weight as a measure of success. Uh, weight stigma is really common within the weight-centric paradigm. So it is based on um, fat stereotypes. So, And that's the thing. Weight stigma can go on either end. It's basically if you fall outside of the range of what we see as socially acceptable, um, there can be a stigma attached to that. So on the plus size, um, bigger body side of the spectrum, you'll have fat stereotypes like, oh, that person's just really lazy or they're unhygienic. I've heard so many, it's wild. Um, they're stupid, they're unmotivated, they lack control. 
um, that they're not trustworthy. There's been so many, you know, I think I read a research paper saying that people in larger bodies are more likely to be found guilty in a court of law because of those stereotypes. And then on the other side of the equation, you might have someone who's um, at a lower body weight and you hear people say like, oh, eat a cheeseburger and, you know, you mustn't eat, you just need to, you know, a good steak or something like that. So weight stigma can be on both sides, but we most often see it um, in the the higher end of the weight spectrum. Yeah, and I think, and I'd wonder on your thoughts in terms of differentiating, or because I know that some people kind of use the term weight stigma um, when talking about fat phobia. And mm. I don't know if you think this, and I would just love to hear your thoughts on this, just yeah. more, maybe from just my education purposes. But um, I think some people say that like weight stigma is maybe like the nice, polite way of saying fat phobia. And yeah. it's more of like the research academic term and what it is is it's it is essentially talking about um fat phobia and yeah perhaps you want to um explain how yeah. they're connected, how they may be different so in the research they they there isn't a i noticed just through going through the research that there isn't a single definition of weight stigma that some people refer to weight stigma as sitting on either side of the spectrum. So whether it's, you know, really low body weight or higher body weight, if you sit outside of that range, that's weight stigma. And some research papers do talk about the lower body weight, but what they don't talk about, oh, some of them touch on it, is that it is still more socially acceptable to be on the lower end of the body weight spectrum. And I know some people out there will be like, that's rubbish because I get yelled at in my car and I've definitely heard stories on that end too. Um, but yeah, it's very much a research term and weight stigma can be used by people just to, you know, be a little bit more watered down and not freak people out over the word fat that is contained in fat phobia. And I suppose as a preface, um, throughout this talk I might use the word fat as a descriptor and just so people know it's a neutral descriptor everyone has baggage around that word to some extent but the way that I use it um, it's just an identifier for a body type but yeah that's something you can explore yourself. Awesome. Um, I think I think that's really helpful to kind of hear those different takes on it. We've touched on it before on this podcast about um, the work of kind of unpacking body image and um getting to a good place with it and I wondered on your kind of professional thoughts as a therapist working in this space whether you think it's something where body image um can often be a symptom like poor body image could be a symptom of deeper issues and underlying mm -hmm. um or you know past trauma and issues that have kind of bubbled up to the surface through body image concerns and whether yeah. you think that to deal with that, whether we like do the body image work to then have the kind of resilience to unpack the deeper underlying issues, or do we do the deeper work and head into therapy and work on that stuff and then the body image stuff will get better? I just mm. wonder if you think yeah. there's like a set approach to that and whether you, um, yeah, what you would recommend professionally. Yeah, yeah. So it's different for all people. Um, I've found that 
I would say a good 95% of the people that I've worked with over my time have um, have other issues that have fueled their body image issues. It's pretty rare that body image issues just exist in a vacuum. There are some people who are like, no, I just really need to unpack, you know, my relationship with my body because I've been told by society, rah, rah, rah. And that's as far as they want to go. But often um, I refer to body image issues as like the canary in the coal mine. I think sometimes the only way um, we can say that there's something wrong is by saying, I don't like my body. So some people think, you know, they come in and say, I hate my body, you know, I can't deal with it, rah, rah, rah. And then when we get down to it, we find issues around trauma and um, low self-esteem and low self-worth. And, yeah, sometimes we have to do that work kind of in tandem because some people, um, you know, they don't really want to hear that, you know, there might be something deeper fueling it because it's, it's hard to go there and I have complete respect for that. So sometimes it's about jumping back and forth a little bit. So you'll be doing some of that more surface body image work and then you'll dip into something a bit deeper and make a link and bring it back. So it's almost like a little bit of a dance in a way. There's a bit of an art to it. Yeah, I found like in my own experience, like early 20s had like issues with food and exercise and and mm -hmm. body image that kind of all came together and it's a very disordered relationship and just kind of how my the progression I've got I've kind of like worked on that and and got to a good place with how I felt about food and exercise um and kind of body image as well but I have found that now I've kind of like it's almost like now that's kind of not distracting me like you know mm. like having to like obsess over what I'm eating and obsess over exercise mm. now that's not distracting me so much I'm able to kind of get deeper into the issues and um, yeah. go to therapy and actually be like and and also make links that like 10 years later I'm like oh that's why I was needing to control food and exercise like yeah. the yeah. dots. like for me I found that really um that's been really powerful in kind of my own healing because like to understand why I behaved the way I behaved and realize that, um, you know, this was my coping mechanism to an extent. Um, and so I, I, yeah, just in a kind of personal way, when I do find that body image stuff pops up and I think in lockdown and pan this pandemic, like that certainly happened at yeah. different moments. And I think that's been when other things have been hard as well. And I've noticed that there's a, you know, there's like, whether it's, um, a direct cause or whether it correlates with me kind of needing to like think about like deep issues or our old is old grief coming to the surface and that mm -hmm. comes out in me feeling uncomfortable in my skin and uncomfortable in my body and yeah I wondered I wondered if you've kind of maybe noticed that particularly during this pandemic that like mm -hmm. th things people have found it like a like it's been I don't know but I'm sure from like your messages you're getting even just through social media alone it's been mm -hmm. tough for people yeah definitely and you're right it is sort of in those um lull periods where things bubble up to the surface and even people who you know um are dealing with other aspects of mental health and not body image you know things are coming up to the surface it's almost like 
life has settled. I sort of see it like a snow globe, you know, when we're going through life, it's all shook up and then it starts simmering down and then you start noticing all of these things in your landscape. It's like, oh, Mm, that was hidden before I'm not into it yes I didn't want to see it before I did that's the whole point I was trying to keep everything busy yeah. so I didn't have to see it yeah I yeah. love that analogy that's... yeah yeah and it's um what you were saying before it's actually really common too for um you know I see some people who they went through eating disorder recovery or had really um, intense experiences with their body image body dysmorphia when they were a teenager and it hasn't been until their late 20s, mid to late, early 30s, where they're like, hey, actually, I want to deal with the underlying issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really common, too. And I think we have to really honour just, you know, for professionals in general, I think that's something we we hold. I hope that we hold is that the body image journey is something that reveals itself over time. So when you think about it in your early 20s, it's actually quite hard to work on your body image stuff because it's such a topic, like it's, it's such a topic. Um, we live in this image obsessed society and we think, well, if I work on my body image issues, I'm going to stop caring about how I look and then all my friends are going to leave me and I won't find a partner and all of that. And they're really valid concerns. So I think it's really normal for, for us to go through periods of time where, you know, new things pop up, whether it's, you know, prior to this pandemic or you're coming into um, a period of isolation where you're seeing some of those snowflakes come down and things are popping up for you. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's really interesting because I, I wonder if you've, wonder whether the research says or whether it's been like in your kind of professional experience to notice that a lot of issues around um, body and and food and things like that happen in our early 20s like teens and early 20s um, mm-hmm. maybe is that a time when we are most vulnerable to those kind of yeah and and you know feeling that pressure like you said from society because yeah that totally resonates with me yeah yeah so in terms of the research and the way that they frame body image we are we look for where those times of vulnerability are So times of vulnerability are normally times of transition. So it's when you're, you know, moving moving into puberty, um, maybe you've become pregnant and your body's changing or you've had, you know, a really um, traumatic experience happen at some point or going through menopause or relationship breakup, things like that. So times of transition when there's actually a lot of change especially when it involves your body, um, illness is another one of them, can sort of destabilise your sense of your body. So you become more vulnerable to that. And I think, um, you know, going through our teenage years, it's difficult in a lot of ways and I'm really glad I'm not there anymore. Um, I don't think many of us want to go back to our teenage years, but it's such a time of transition and we are vulnerable because, um, we're also going through that developmental stage where we're starting to form social peer-based relationships and we want to fit in and we're trying to understand where we fit in in the world and our sense of self and identity and it's just a you know I clap anyone who makes it out of their teen years with yeah with some sort of stability but yeah that's what we're looking at yeah and I think 
I mean, sometimes I feel old when I say this, <laughs> like, but with social media these days, um, <laughs> I think like that, I mean, it was bad enough being a teen, like in the early 2000s. I can't mm. imagine, and you know, we started to have phones and stuff. We did have phones, but we didn't have social yeah, media yeah. in the way that we do now. Like not really, we had a bit of Facebook, mm. but mm. I can't imagine the, the additional pressure to kind of look a certain way and always present perfection online. And, you know, things like Photoshopping images and filters and all this stuff, setting unrealistic yeah. beauty standards mm. and body standards for, um people that they feel they have to live up to um yeah i think and like as you said i think maybe as you get older you kind of are like you can be like i know that's a filter i know that's been edited and it can mm. still have an effect like i absolutely think it can even you know as you get into your like late 20s 30s older um mm. but I, yeah i think growing up in a time when everything's always been filtered and everything's always been edited it must be quite hard to know what's what is real and what is um what's not yeah 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 and that's the thing we have become more image saturated and um I haven't explored the research in comparison the different times but I almost think about how we don't know what we've missed out on in a sense so for us to look back and think oh imagine being 15 and having snapchat and instagram and TikTok and all of this stuff how wild would that be but then I think about how um you know Gen Z who's coming up they are that's what they were you know that's what they have lived with so I think about you know I wonder what kind of resilience they've built up to that um because yeah I think to be that person is like before social media you know we only really could compare ourselves to some model in a magazine if we happen to buy a magazine or we would compare ourselves more to our friends we couldn't just open up you know snapchat or open up something and have that direct you know comparison moment yeah I do yeah and like I'm like on a lot of these platforms and like I'm on TikTok and things like that and like I love it but um and I think like credit where credit's due I think like yeah Gen Z they're very switched on and um they have a lot of awareness but like also I see a lot of normalizing of I think what can be um disordered behaviors of like feeling the pressure to like look a certain way and you know in, in the fitness space like exercising purely to change aesthetic and look like the girls that they all want to be like and look up to and um yeah it's it's a really interesting perspective and like it said it kind of does make me feel a bit old because I'm like oh I'm at the point now where I'm like oh look at the kids and the teens and um yeah how, how are they coping and I, I I do find it interesting and I also maybe would love to like hear a little bit about um body image in pregnancy actually because I think um that's not really discussed much um and you know I I think um you know I'm certainly at the age where I think where people around me are having children and or wanting to have children and I think no one talks about how maybe difficult that can be on your body image and and how you know your body's changing and you kind of you can't control it Mm. the way that we've been told we can control 
other things. Um, and yeah, I would just maybe love to hear a bit about your thoughts on that and and how yeah. to, I know, and how to kind of cope with that process. Yeah, well, it's another really significant point of transition, and it's it's really dependent upon the unique factors people bring into that pregnancy. So where their body image was already at. So it's kind of, um, you know, it's along a spectrum. I think everything's on the spectrum these days um, that some people's body image actually improves in pregnancy because of the function of pregnancy. They feel that, oh, my body's actually doing something amazing and wild and, oh, wow. Um, and that can be seen, I don't want to generalize too much, but I've heard that anecdotally for people who have been in larger bodies who have become pregnant that it's actually improved their body image because, you know, oh, this is something my body is able to do. It can do this and it um, it can almost make you feel connected in a way to your body. Whereas, say, people who have held, and this is, you know, going to the other side of things, people who have placed a lot of worth, in self-worth into their body maybe they've never had a stretch mark in their life I really don't know anyone who has that but there are some people who freak out for one stretch mark um, when they get that in pregnancy and that's completely valid um where they will yeah their pregnancy will plummet their body image because they've never had to experience such change Mm. in their body so it's yeah it's thinking about okay um if anything I would probably if you're thinking about getting pregnant do some body image work beforehand just to try and shift some of that investment in your body just so you've got more freedom for it to change so I'd be thinking about doing that beforehand instead of dealing with the um the changes throughout and yeah, I'd love to talk about like what that body image work is because we kind of use terms even on this podcast of kind of body neutrality, body acceptance, mm-hmm. body confidence. And yeah. I wondered where do people start doing this body image work? Do you need to have a therapist specializing in this work? Can you do stuff on your own? And um, what's what's the avenue to go down? What is Is it like going for body neutrality? Is it the body acceptance stuff yeah, is it like yeah. just loving yourself like what is it yeah 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 so you can absolutely do some work on your own and you can do some work with a therapist so in a way our we can use the the plasticity of our brains to our advantage so with body image it's not all of it, but a lot of it can be informed by what we see, what we view. So you may have heard um, people talking about online, diversify your feed, make sure your viewing body is of all shapes and sizes. And that actually does a lot of the work for you. When you start seeing bodies like yours reflected back at you, you your body, your brain just does the work. It's just like, oh, okay, my body is okay. It is accepted. Um, cool and then you you notice shifts and I even noticed that in my own experience um you know following people who had bodies like mine and now I can look in the mirror and I'm like yeah I've seen this body before in a positive context and it doesn't worry me um so you can definitely 
do that level of work. But I think people who have um, body image issues that are really caught up in trauma and, you know, there might be eating disorders there and they're a bit more complex, you can do that and perhaps look at working with a therapist as well. But in terms of all of the buzzwords, I think um, even now as people have listened to those words, body neutrality, body love, body acceptance, you know, what resonates with you? For some people, they want to jump right in the deep end and they're like, yes, I'm going to strip off and pose in a bikini and get my rolls out. And it's like a really radical act. And I think that's definitely a personality style. And for some people, they sit with so much shame around their body that they couldn't even begin to think about loving what they see or showing what showing their body to the world. So I think starting somewhere like body neutrality, where you're just sort of accepting that your body is, it's just what your body just exists. And I don't know if I'm getting too ahead of myself. I almost see body neutrality sitting at the start and then also at the end of someone's body image journey. So you'll start with body neutrality and you'll go up maybe to this celebratory, um, almost like exhibitionist kind of behaviour, which is wonderful. And then you start coming down the other end and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty okay with my body and I actually want to focus on other things. And you get back to that point of, yeah, my body just is simple. I do you know what? I, I totally agree, actually. And I think um, I think for me, some of the work that like really resonates with me right now is um, Beauty Redefined stuff. And we had them on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, they're incredible. And they, that, was, that, that episode was extremely popular. I'm always getting feedback about it. And um, that their idea and like they have their mantra which is like your body is an instrument to be used not an ornament to be looked yeah. at and I have to say it's a mantra I use a lot myself just you know in those times of like doubt and um in terms of like even social media like you said diversifying your feed and seeing different bodies and I talk about mm-hmm. fitness like seeing different bodies in motion to see that like mm-hmm. people in different shapes and sizes move their bodies and there is a form of movement for you and and like no matter your body shape like you can you can do this um but also yeah to kind of have that um even people like yourself and and um beauty redefined to, to follow those as like reinforcing this kind of i think often reflection on how we like interact with our bodies and how we view bodies in general as well as our own and i think um like there's some really educational stuff out there as well but um I mean, I would be interested in you because, like, I have found, like, especially as I've, like, kind of dived into therapy that, like, I wanted to follow all the therapy accounts, <laughs> anyone doing yeah. any of that kind of stuff. And um, I know there was, like, a bit of a, you know, there was a lot of chat, I think maybe it was earlier this year. I mean, who knows if it was this year or last year. I don't know. It's been an age. Um, around whether, like, following therapy accounts, like, it's not a substitute for therapy and, and shouldn't be. Mm. But I also think people are getting insights into concepts and ideas and understanding of, mm-hmm. of maybe even just like a, a basic level of psychology that they just mm-hmm. haven't had access to. I mean, I never had access to it. And I feel like I often read stuff on social media and I'm like, like, I'm, I'm sure you've put a post on like, I can't think of specifics, but I know that I would have read something that you've written and gone, I need mm-hmm. to talk about that with my therapist. Cause that's like, you know, lit a, yeah. lit a bulb for me and I need to explore that. And, um, yeah, I wondered what you think about like the role of being a therapist online and how 
people can benefit from that. Yeah, well, I see a lot of the work that therapists do on social media as psychoeducation. Mm. And for some therapy approaches, um, psychoeducation is a, is a part of therapy as well. So what's missing is that actual individual therapeutic relationship, which makes it not therapy. Mm. But it, it doesn't mean that the information that they're providing isn't therapeutic for someone. Mm. So psychoeducation, um, you've probably heard the term of knowledge is power in a lot of cases. I think when you can make sense a little bit of what you're experiencing, it can help you hold it a little bit more. It's not the whole story because then you can get caught up in really intellectualizing things and rationalizing. And I can certainly um, go there. I love analyzing things. But yeah, it's, it's an aspect of it. And I think, yeah, there's a difference between therapy, but we can't deny that it isn't that it isn't therapeutic for someone. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've personally gained so much from it and I really feel, feel that whilst my journey of growth has been kind of my journey and stuff I've had to work on, it's only been a support, you know, it's, it's been a really yeah. positive support. Now, I wanted to talk about, in this episode particularly, when we're talking a lot about so body image online is this the conversation right now around um people sharing images of like instagram versus reality and often those images being shown by people in straight size bodies so when we use the term straight size we mean people who aren't plus size and can shop in any store kind of thing um doing these kind of instagram v reality photos and getting a lot of traction and a lot of um, support. And often I think people feel like it's just thin people contorting their bodies to show roles, to show cellulite, to, um, and we and we had a whole episode about this with Rafaela Mancuso. So if you want to go back and it's specifically about that kind of, that take on body positivity. And I wanted to discuss it in the in the context of body image. Because mm. I see, like, I was even kind of in the comments of a post last night, kind of having a discussion about this. Because I think it's really interesting that these posts are extremely popular. And, you know, I see a lot of people finding this stuff really helpful. Similarly, like we've mentioned TikTok. I go on TikTok and I see um, a lot of objectively thin women putting out this kind mm. of content. But people in the comments saying like, oh my goodness, this has helped me so much. I ate a meal today or, you know, I yeah. this is helping me with my eating disorder. This is helping me in my recovery. And um, so I, I personally do see value in that content and I don't want to completely diminish the value of the content. Yeah. But my question to you is, um, do you think that the need why do we need to share Instagram the reality shots? Why do we, uh, what is it about um, showing cellulite or showing our, our belly rolls that mm. is such a radical act? Because I have certainly felt like I've posted what I felt to be extremely vulnerable images of myself in the past um, because in that headspace that I was in, and even being smaller than I am now, I mm -hmm. felt like I, you know, <laughs> I, I can look back at pictures now and think like, how, why did you think that? But like, I could have gone like, 
oh, I am not as lean as I once was. And the fact that I'm not um, is a radical thing. And me sharing this is, is huge because I'm, you know, I hope I'm explaining this right, but I like, I feel yeah, like I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm posting this content because I'm, you know, pushing the boundaries of like what is acceptable um, because in the, and I wonder maybe it's because the kind of content I was following was predominantly made of people in smaller bodies. And so to show a, um, a fat role, to show like for me, particularly working in fitness, to not have the six pack that I once did and show that um, felt really radical because I didn't see that happening in a lot of the content I was following. And yeah, I just would love to talk about, is that partly to do with body dysmorphia? And what is body dysmorphia? I think is the question. Is it, is this kind of phenomenon partly to do with a collective body dysmorphia in terms of how we, what we view, how we view our own bodies and how we view other bodies? and therefore thinking portraying our bodies in a supposedly i'm using quote marks unflattering light is a radical yeah. act and i hope i've explained that well yeah 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 we can unpack it a little bit because there's a few concepts mm. in there. Mm. Um, but when you talk about it being a radical act what we're essentially talking about is people breaking the rules and that feels really radical it's breaking the rules and we just need one person to break the rules to think oh I could break the rules too so yeah there's quite a number of things and I'll see if I can get around to them um in terms of when you think about it social endorsement is a concept where when you see other people doing something it it's endorsed for you it's like oh other people are doing this I can do it too when we've just seen a very narrow one particular body type shown in the media even if it's a thin body there's no roles there's no cellulite on a level when a thin person then starts showing roles and cellulite it's breaking that illusion essentially and it's breaking the rules and we're creating like another um avenue for something to be socially endorsed so, for example, like you said, you know, you read through the comments and you saw someone say like, oh, my God, thank you so much for showing your role, even if it was one role hunched over, because we don't see that in the media. We still don't see that, even though people are objectively thin and they might not deal with as much weight stigma as someone who's larger. Those images are serving a particular group of people. And on a therapeutic level, I think that's great, you know. Um, what happens is when we zoom out again and we critique the way that we're raising awareness about body image and um, injustices in bodies is that we look at it through a social justice lens and think, oh, but there's nothing wrong with your body. Like, why are you crying over a tiny piece of cellulite or a stretch mark or a roll? when over here you've got people who are denied jobs and who are, you know, um, yelled at in the street and um, can't get medical care. So we look at that and think, what the heck? What's that all about? Like, what have you got to cry about? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's completely valid because over in this space, um, you know, there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of pain. And then 
And again, there's a lot of dialectics in this and a lot of things that can contradict one another. When you come back and look at it from a therapeutic lens, it's like, actually, we can't compare pain. In this sense, pain is relative. So if I'm sitting with someone who's in a smaller body and they're incredibly distressed about um, how their stomach has looked in a photo and there's basically a skin roll, I sit with that. You know, it's okay that, that they hold that. And, you know, someone who's sitting with systemic discrimination um, about their body size, I can sit with that as well. I don't think there's a role. I don't really see a purpose in, from a therapeutic perspective, to compare those pains. Mm. But I think when we zoom out and we look at it from a social justice, socio-political perspective, and I know these are a lot of buzzword terms, um, we can see that okay, people over in smaller bodies, when they're showing a role or them eating pizza, they aren't getting yelled at by people in the comments saying you're going to die young and you should go and burn in hell and, like, set yourself on fire. And I've heard incredible things that Mm -hmm. um, have been said to people in larger bodies. So what's being called out is that, um, and there's a great, I think her name is Danielle is Anxious, I'm not sure if you've seen it, where she's recreating viral images of uh, people in smaller bodies who are posing very radically, like eating pizza or showing a role, and she's doing it in her larger body just to show how each of those images are received in a very different way where one is very moralised and it becomes about health and you're promoting obesity and rah-rah and the other one gets claps and congratulations. So when we zoom out and view it from a social justice lens and we critique it, we're just trying to point out the hypocrisy and the injustice in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really kind of clear way of, of kind of like, like a an overview of of the different kind of perspectives on it and I think people's perspectives are only going to be informed by their kind of lived experience and their you know like their past with their body and the and what and what they've been through um and you know it's I think it's frustrating maybe on both sides to for people to think like like you said like what what have you got to be upset about if you're in a thin body like the world treats you just fine you haven't you don't know the half of it but then there's mm-hmm. the people that are saying like like you've like my experiences have been valid in in my smaller body and um and and yeah I I would I, yeah I want to continue talking about this in this in the context of of that of that body dysmorphia and mm-hmm. the like you know me posting in the past a body that I felt was, and um, I would say this is like pre-discovering diet culture and um, understanding what fat phobia is. So with my, in the past, with my fat phobic thoughts, thinking, you know, I look bigger and obviously that because of my my um, experiences with fat phobia, like that was something that was deemed wrong for me. And, um, you know, it felt extremely vulnerable to, yeah, to, like just to post my body and like I I look back at images now I like I'll scroll back and maybe it was like two years ago and I'll look back at things I've posted and I'm like as a as my body has got bigger since then I'm kind of like 
what like I I understand what your brain thought but like objectively that is not what you look like how you look like in your head how you perceived your body to be in your head um like objectively now with like all the kind of learning I've done and also just how far I've come in general like I'm like you were fine like there's never been like there's never been a problem there's never been you know there's like I don't understand Mm -hmm. why you felt this way but I also recognize the mindset I was in at that time and like I said the people I was following and the messaging that were constantly reinforced to me about what bodies were meant to look like and and the standard I felt I held myself to um do you think that that like Instagram perfection and you know that that need for social media perfection like is is causing us to to genuinely believe like I think I'm I'm particularly talking about people in smaller bodies here genuinely believe that Mm -hmm. like it is radical there is something um like we shouldn't be having stretch marks we shouldn't be having these Mm. things and that um acknowledging them like is huge yeah for sure yeah and when you think about it the the image that you're comparing to in your mind um, most often has been an edited image. It's been a posed image. It's been, whether it was on, you know, TikTok or Instagram or in a magazine, um, it's been constructed in a particular way and that's what we compare ourselves to. So, you know, the way that people get thigh gaps, you know, they just angle their hips back in a particular way and people don't know that that's what's happening. Um, so... I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, one thing I, one thing I, um, and I think maybe the conclusion I kind of come to with this mm-hmm. kind of discussion and debate around this topic is I think, and I, I was kind of discussing this on social media last night with a, with a creator who kind of was grappling with the like idea of having thin privilege. So living in mm-hmm. a smaller body, um, but also sharing content that is like so positively received because it does, like you said, it does break the rules for, pe- for people who yeah. look like her. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that's what I was going to touch on is that for the everyday person who's just taking a, a photo on their iPhone, that lens, because they don't have all of that background of photography and how to pose a body, the way that they're seeing their body reflected back at them looks dramatically different to what they're actually seeing. So then there's an assumption that, oh, my body must actually be bigger. It must be bigger. It must be wrong or distorted. And the way that I sort of um, hold that is the way that we perceive our body in general is so unstable Mm -hmm. that we can't really rely too, too much on how we see our bodies. And I think that's what you mentioned, that collective, you know, body dysmorphia. We're receiving um, feedback about our bodies from so many different sources, so many different lenses, and they all look different. So our brain is sitting there being like, what the heck is real? I don't know what's real. What does my body actually look like? Mm. So I think about when you're trying to work out, you know, what does my body actually look like? What what are you really asking and what are you going to do with the information if you could know what it looks like as well yes 
I think that's I think that's really helpful um really helpful because I think that's when you get maybe a bit more of that objectivity in and um I think we we spoke about before we started recording about an objective view and a subjective view and yeah. is, is that what it is is that the the subjective brain telling you what your body image is today and then like two yeah. days later where nothing has nothing has objectively changed but subjectively you feel yeah. totally different about your body and you're you're having a really bad day and like you yeah. you know you, you don't feel the same mm-hmm. yeah we are subjective people and this gets you know if we really went down into it um it's a way of viewing the world but everything is viewed through your lens like your consciousness only exists within you it's it's subjective and some people would say that yeah but you can have a bit of an objective sense and I think we all do to an extent we know objectively even if we have a lot of subjectivity coming over unless you've got really intense body dysmorphia um you do have a bit of a sense, objective sense of, of your body to an extent. But for the most part, I think we're incredibly subjective. Depending on your mood, you can look in the mirror and see something completely different. You'll zoom in on a particular area and it will feel inflated. If you're feeling really great, you'll look in the mirror and be like, yes, bitch, like I'm on it, rah, rah. And you'll sort of gloss over your whole body and you'll see yourself beyond your body as well. So something I think about is, okay, if we're subjective viewers of our body, how can we sort of have flexibility to shift between all of those subjective lenses? And we do that through through curiosity. There are some moments where I'll be in the mirror and maybe I'm really tired because, you know, I'm a human too. Sometimes I have bad body image days and I'll notice myself critiquing and I'll be like, oh, isn't that really interesting? that's so interesting. Like, I really hate my body right now. Fascinating. So I bring that curiosity into it just so I can detach from it a little bit because it's sort of like just watching a movie that's cropped up in a way. And that's going to be different. It could be different in an hour. It could be different. You know, you might take a selfie and think, oh, no, I actually look really good. The main point is, is that you you begin to notice all of the fluctuations between how you're subjectively viewing your body in the moment. And then you start to notice, actually, it's relatively unstable. It's not very consistent the way that I'm viewing it because what we know is if we were to objectively measure it, and some people do that, they try and weigh themselves daily, they'll measure, they'll check their arms and things like that, looking for some objectivity. Um, But, yeah, for the most part, it is... Mm, that sentence is going to be really gold at the end and I just lost it well Um, yeah um, when you're talking about that that like knowing that you these thoughts are subjective and is that the same as like so I think it's um Brené Brown talks about like the story I'm telling myself yeah, and exactly. it's the same thing. Like the story I'm telling myself about my body today is X Y Z, and I'm curious too with that. Like, where did that story come from? Why do I have that story? Like, mm. how is this story impacting me? Mm. Um, how is it benefiting me in this moment? Yeah, and like rather than saying like this is absolute truth, saying like this mm. is a story, and you know, are like, I I don't know. I I wonder if that helps give a bit of like like you said that detachment. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. It's almost like instead of having the, the movie, the story, right up against your face and you, you can't really separate yourself from it, doing things like bringing in curiosity or being like, oh, is this the story I'm telling myself today? Or just saying, oh, I notice I'm having the thought that my body really sucks. It sort of distanced the movie a little bit and then you can sort of, let's say you're sitting in a movie theatre and you know you're really immersed in the movie and you forget that there's, you know, some kids making out up the back and like popcorn flying everywhere or whatever. Um, it's almost like you can take a step back. It's like, oh, I'm actually sitting in the theatre. Do I even like this movie? Yeah. Can I get up and go outside, get some fresh air? Yeah, yeah, it's really powerful the thing, like she said, the, the stories that we tell ourselves and even the language that we use around our body can really influence how we see our body mm. as well. Um, I think, yeah, like I, I, I think the conclusion I've drawn in terms of like just generally how I feel about whether I personally would share images of a like Instagram versus reality of a pose and pose of, you know, me mm. slightly like, bending my body in certain shapes to like um what's the word kind of to exaggerate certain aspects of my body mm-hmm. I personally feel that I don't think I think there's enough of that out there and I don't think people need me to do it but mm-hmm. I also think for me I think um what has been one of the most powerful things is when people just turn up as themselves and do post the unpost photo, but don't have the Instagram thing before it. And yeah. then don't even comment on the, on the supposed imperfections. Mm. So like, I, I personally see that as the most powerful message to say that like, oh, here is a body, but like, we're not even commenting on the body. Cause you know, it's like you said, like the arc of that journey of like getting to the point where recognizing mm. that, you know my body is probably the least interesting thing about me and that actually I can just turn up how I want to turn up and I can show up how I want to show up and I don't need to justify (laughs) yes I don't like so the other day I posted a photo and I I swear I'm a sweater right and I had this like extremely sweaty crotch in this photo because I've been on a swim bike and I thought like oh I could post a photo and say like I'm sweaty and I've got sweaty crotch and I know from years of being on social media that that would be a really popular post and people would be like, oh my goodness, thank you so much for normalizing this. And, you know, mm. I'd probably get loads of likes and loads of shares and it would be, probably be great for my Instagram. Great for engagement. Great for engagement. <laughs> yeah. However, that wasn't really what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about something else. And I felt like, well, I'm just going to use the image anyway. And I even contemplated, like, do I just put like, PS, I know I'm really sweaty. And I was like, yeah. no, because like, mm-hmm. I actually, if I acknowledge it, then it is still like going like, oh, this else, you're not meant to be sweaty rather than just saying like, mm. no, people are sweaty. And I don't need to comment on it. Like I don't need to, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And that's just, that was just like a, a little way of just kind of going, I don't need to justify why I am the way I am. I don't need to justify my body's existence mm. because it, you know, I'm supposedly breaking rules. And interestingly enough, not, not a single person has, I don't think even commented or probably even noticed or said anything yeah. about this sweaty crotch. Yeah. Or they think, congratulations, you're a human, you have a sweaty crotch, you were just on a spin bike. Yeah. No, everyone, yeah. like, ev- people were, like, interested in, like, actually what I had to say. And I just, 
I think that's mm. for me that's a that's just an example of like where I kind of got to and I think as you said I think you explained it really well like that arc of going like where I have been in that like I'm gonna show off my body you know because I think that's really important for that moment of my journey right now but then yeah. at the like I don't know if it's the destination because I don't know if there is a destination but the event that eventual thing of getting to like yeah this is my body and it's it is the least interesting thing about me how I look and I've actually got more to offer and I want to share that with you and I think yeah I know, that's where I that's the kind of message I'm really drawn to right now I think um yeah and, yeah and why and why I, I don't I don't find that content helpful anymore because I'm not in that headspace anymore mm -hmm. and I think that's where people yeah whereas I think if you're like you said maybe if you are brand new to this stuff that content is the first step in a whole process yeah yeah and that's the thing that we will always need people who are at different points mm. in the, the journey mm. um still looking for another word besides I know. do you know what was it sophie hagen's book and she called it a safari or something and she was a like safari. <laughs> and there was like a footnote in the book that was like okay everyone always says journey so i'm just going to choose different words at different points in the book and like one of them was safari mm. and i found that hilarious i just thought it was great yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah we need people who because there are people who are really fresh now and they need a voice who's who's normalizing that and there will be people who have followed you for a while or followed me for a while who are at different points and that's the thing I think um at the end of the day we need critique on what messaging we're you know we're putting out there and also another one of those dialectics is that we need content that is all along the bridge kind of thing so I often talk about how you know if you're coming straight out of diet culture it's probably too much for you to talk about you know fat phobia and to go straight there and to talk about how you shouldn't center yourself in movements and all of these terms that you don't know um, and some people might say that that's coddling people or, or dulling it down but I know we know how humans work we can't just jump we can't, you know, you can't expect a baby to be born and then immediately run a marathon and know how to use their legs. So we need people along the whole spectrum delivering particular messages. I absolutely agree. And I, I have like um, a friend here in the UK who's a dietitian working in, um, working in this space, like a Hayes dietitian. Mm -hmm. and, and we kind of talk about this a lot. Like we kind of say there's a scale of like one to 10 and like one maybe being like, deep in diet culture and 10 being the most um like a super radical body liberationist um in in all the, the kind of body politics of everything and I think like you and generally there's a lot of people like hovering around like the like three four five of like mm, I'm in these diets I don't know yeah. I'm fed up of disliking myself I'm fed up of kind of like constantly going on the same process every couple of years and like not getting the results and is there a way that like we can just hold a hand over and like pull them over to that like five six and then you point them in the, the direction of the people who are doing the more radical stuff and you exactly. and like I think there's for me this is a personal experience as well and and you know of of yeah it took me like even <laughs> I remember like acknowledging what diet culture was was a big deal for me um okay when I'd been so deep in diet culture at one point to say that like there's this thing called diet culture and it felt like really scary mm -hmm. and political to say that statement and now it's like 
become my second language. Um, it's so, yeah, I think we really need to respect. And do you think maybe like be a bit more, have, have a, a bit more empathy just to say like, everyone is at different points and, and different moments yeah. of the journey? Yeah, yeah. I think we can hold that. Um, and if it feels okay for people to hold that, they can. And I think it's also when we look at it from a social justice perspective that we're not trying to, especially if you're, at, let's say, at that three, four, five, six, um, when you are trying to learn things, it can be really hard to suddenly hear a voice over on 10, 11, 12, mm. so to speak. And then people in that space start being like, oh, but could you just say it nicer or something like that? And that's totally valid. You know, sometimes from a psychological perspective, we do take things on board more readily when we don't feel like we're being attacked. Mm -hmm. But then we also need to be mindful of, you know, if we are talking to people who are at that more radical end, especially with lived experience, that we're not asking them to tone down yeah their anger and things like that because they're also on a journey and the thing is is that people who are on three and four may get to 11 12 and be super livid and and that's the thing I don't want to generalize that end of the spectrum either because I don't think everyone is angry at that end of the spectrum but that's also a valid place to be so yeah and I think just really respecting that that yeah and particularly when it comes to lived experience like just respecting that lived experience and you know mm -hmm. just recognizing that um yeah like as we said like things don't happen in a vacuum and people don't form opinions and people don't come with ideas and things because they're in a vacuum and, and I think really yeah. important to just to just go like you know there is stuff that we don't know and like this is why people are mm -hmm. The way they are this is why i have to say this is why i've been such a fan of therapy because it's really made me just be less um more understanding of other people and of myself but like just to go like oh everyone else has like a deep pile of shit behind them and you know they're totally. trying to do just the same thing and and we're all you know trying to do our best with what we know at the time and i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i think all of us could benefit from taking things a bit less personally mm. which is so hard me as a cancerian who takes things personally <laughs> all the time I think I'm talking to myself in that respect but yeah I think at the end of the day where you know it's like that saying we're all fighting a battle that well you know that that no fighting, a battle, see, fighting a battle you can't see or something like that yeah I, I absolutely agree with that um now I wanted to chat about just kind of um before we go to chat mm -hmm. about the challenge you recently did on your um, Instagram page. And I'd love you to make, I'm gonna probably totally mess it up. So I'd love you to explain your original post and the subsequent kind of photo challenge that came out of that. And mm -hmm. and how important it was for, for, for your community to like release shame and how, and how mm -hmm. shame is part of that body image journey. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, so recently, I think a few months ago, I spontaneously decided to um, find a picture of myself from when I was, I think I was like 11 years old. And it was a picture that I had actually held a lot of shame around. And it probably wasn't until that moment where I felt ready to show that to the world. I thought, yes, this is something that I need to do. Um, 
And it was one of those photos that I thought at the time, and even, you know, up until a few years ago, I thought, yeah, maybe not a few years ago. But, you know, for a big portion of my life, I thought this can never be seen by anyone. It was, I look disgusting. I even remember having a moment early days with my partner thinking he can never see these photos of me. Like, I don't want him to ever see me like this, rah, rah, rah. And I thought, well, this is going to be a teachable moment. So I felt ready and I sort of gathered up my little inner child within and I thought, how about we just obliterate the shame monster and just put it out there? So for those of you who are familiar a little bit with Brene Brown's work, um, she talks about how shame thrives in secrecy. And one of the best things that you can do for shame is to talk about it. And shame does not like that. The shame monster is like, no, you must keep this a secret forever because you're a terrible person, rah, rah, rah. So I decided to post that photo to my 90,000 plus followers on the internet and write a little story about it. And I had a vulnerability hangover for a good day after I did that. Um, And in that post, Towards the end, I thought, hey, how about I invite other people to share images like this because I'm probably not the only one that has a pile of images that will never see the light of day. And I thought, how about we just make this like a bit of a tribute to those to those images? And I was flooded with DMs. Everyone had an image like that and people were saying, as soon as I read that and saw your image, I knew exactly the image that was my version of that. Mm. And I think oh, I probably could have kept posting for days in, in the Instagram stories. Um, but people had a chance to really, yeah, post the thing that, post the photo that they felt most ashamed of. And through that, people were able to have this collective experience of releasing shame because shame at the end of the day is a very lonely experience because it's so isolating and we just blew it out of the water and it was yeah it was incredible it saved as a highlight on your instagram page so i'd really recommend yeah. people to go and watch it i think it's i found it really emotional to look through and to think about and yeah i think it's really a powerful representation i felt like it almost was releasing the shame but also reclaiming mm. that photo to be like yeah. that is a photo of me and like and whatever it was and I also think it's a really good example of I think people having holding a lot of shame around their bodies when maybe as an outsider you objectively look at it and think why were you ashamed of your body yeah. what, what was the shame that you held here and maybe not understanding it but also realizing that like it, I felt like um, when you look through the, the post, like you had people of all different shapes and sizes with these photos. Exactly. Everyone was affected by this. Everyone had that experience. And I felt like actually that's a really universal experience of, yeah. of that body shame that we sadly do, do have. And some people recognised that um, they had those moments of like, they would tell me in DMs that I would look at this, image of someone and think what the heck like how could they be ashamed of their body Mm. because perhaps in their mind that was an ideal body Mm. and they then had this moment of okay how is it that you know I can have compassion for other people's 
images that they find really shameful but I can't with my own and it actually opened up a space for them to be able to witness their own image as as okay and that they're okay and with compassion instead of through that inner critic's lens and I think that really goes speaks to how in general there is a lot of pain around body image um you know for all genders but I think in particular for women or those who are very socialized as women mm. there's so much pain there and it we haven't really been able to speak about it no and I hope this conversation this kind of I, I'm like just putting our ideas and thoughts out there I, I really hope it helps kind of people with that journey maybe give them some tools like are there I think do you have um, advice on how people get started on this process of people listening and they're like, do you know what I'm fed up of, of like feeling this way about myself? I want to, I want to start. I don't have a clue where to start or like, mm-hmm. um, and then as a like add on to that question, because I get this question all the time and I'm not the expert. How do I find the right therapist for me? Um, so yeah so potentially like how do I get started on this journey and if I'm looking for a therapist to help me with this work how do I find that person yeah yeah so as I mentioned before the very very first thing you can do is curate your feed which means get rid of accounts unfollow accounts that make you feel shitty about your body or feel bad about your body Um, and make sure you start following bodies of all different sizes and just sit with the feelings that come up when you see different body sizes don't place judgment on it just notice you know what's coming up for you let your brain do some of that background processing work just by being exposed to other things and then um if you want i kind of unpack it a little bit and i'll just like pop a plug in here if you join my mailing list, I do have a little path to body image healing um, little guide that gives you a bit of a rundown. Um, but yeah, I would think about even just having a think about, you know, where does my, where do my body image issues come up for me? Is it mostly when I'm standing in front of the mirror? Is it when I'm around my partner? Is it all of the above? Just start beginning to understand what your body image issues look like and then um, you might start noticing some patterns from there it might be something that you you know you take that information and you take it to a therapist who works in this area or when you and this goes into the second part of the question how do you find a therapist when you're um, looking for a therapist you can actually ask them questions you know do you work with body image is that something you've done a lot of work around how confident do you feel with it um what's your perspective on body size are you more weight centric things like that so people forget that they can also interview their therapist because you want to find someone that you think you know it's it's almost like dating in a way yeah um you want to know who you're working with and the other point is that it's really quite normal to go through several therapists and that can be really difficult there are some unicorns out there where they find one therapist their first go and they've been in a long relationship with them and then there are other (laughs) I actually got really lucky too (laughs) 
Um, and there are other people who might have to, you know, go through five or six different therapists to, to find that right fit. But I think at the end of the day, if you're ready to do this work, just keep persevering. And that's the thing. There are so many resources on Instagram. If you join the community, the, um, there's so many words for it, you know, the body positive community, uh, body acceptance, body image, the therapy kind of community on Instagram, you will start learning a lot about yourself. Um, and a lot of creators have courses and books. And I think sometimes, and I think I might have touched on it in the, the guide that I created, um, is that you just need to follow your intuition, just those little calls of, yes, this feels right. I think I need to go here or okay, this book looks really good. I'll read this book first and I'll just get some more information. That's definitely how I started my healing journey. Um, I remember the catalyst for my heal healing journey was in a ridiculous um, how to stop emotional eating book. And it basically said, which I'm not going to tell you the name of, <laughs> but it said something like um, that you basically need to talk about the things that are hidden within you that you feel shame around, that you're not ready to talk about. And I remember sitting there and I had just, um, I was doing one of my behaviours and I thought I can't do this anymore. Like I need to go to therapy. I thought I didn't need therapy either. I was like, I'm fine, everything's great. And then I thought, no, it's time to go. So that's the other thing. You'll know when you're ready to go deeper in this work. It's what we spoke about at the start, how... You might dip in a little bit. You might see a therapist for a month or two and you, you think, no, I'm not ready. That's okay. Five years time, you might jump in again and start the ball rolling. So yeah, there's no one way. And I think, I think with therapy and I, I, I think the, I, cause I have these conversations with people in my DMs and someone's like, how do you know if you're ready? And I think, I think, you know, that you're ready and also you go in with an open mind thinking like I want to gain something from this rather than this is something I have yeah. to do because I think I think there's a potential that when you go in thinking like oh this is what I should be doing you're not actually opening yourself up to the true kind of process and like maybe yeah. getting, getting as vulnerable with yourself as you need to and therefore like not getting the most out of it that you possibly could because there's something holding you back and I don't know whether you think that's something you can work on with a therapist or whether oh, yeah. yeah I think one of the biggest fears of, around therapy for people is that they're going to go to therapy and the therapist is going to rip the band-aid off in the first session and then you're just going to be left gaping and open and not know how to deal mm -hmm. if you're working with a good therapist it will be titrated so it will be really it will be a gentle um evol evolution and it also depends on the type of therapist you're working with um you're working with a more humanistic therapist they will you know they'll work with you in that they'll be walking alongside of you but they won't impose themselves too much on your process they'll be a gentle guide and then there are some therapies that are more you know this is how it needs to be done let's break through resistance all of this stuff and yeah that's when you might need to go through a few different therapy therapists but yeah, ultimately people are afraid of going down with their pain. So they're afraid that if the box is open, the lid's open, that it's this giant void and you're going to get lost and just obliterated. It's almost like an existential fear of um, being annihilated, which is a lovely way to probably 
know and (laughs) and I think yeah I mean when I when I went to therapy I was like do you know what (laughs) I think I find it funny now but this is like a year ago I actually feel really good. So I feel like my life's pretty good right now. So I feel like now's the time that if there, if I kind of knew there was stuff, but like if there is stuff, then I feel like, yeah, like let's do this. Like I didn't go in my, like personally, I didn't go in my, at my rock bottom. I actually got through mm. my rock bottom and then I was like, so maybe I do need to like talk about some stuff because maybe yeah. there is some stuff I haven't dealt with, but I don't feel like there is right now in my life. But but I'm curious as to like that there might be. And now mm. being like pretty much 12 months in, I'm like, how was I so <laughs> blind <laughs> and naive to all this stuff that I've been carrying around with me for yeah. years. And um, mm. yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I like, I think it must be different for everyone and there isn't like Definitely. one right or wrong way of doing it. And it's yeah, just yeah. right for you, I suppose, at the time that you're ready for mm. it. And mm. I should also add, if you're looking for like a haze based therapist, the health at every size based therapist, um, am I right in saying that the best place to go is to go to, um, there's, there's a database I believe isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there is a database, um, I think depending on the country you're in, but I think even if you find yourself in the Instagram community, you can reach out to a haze therapist, even if they're not in the area and say, hey, do you know anyone in this particular area? Because we, honestly, we all pretty much know each other to some extent and we're all connected. So if they're not on that database, we should be able to give you a pretty good recommendation. And everyone's doing virtual therapy at the moment. So so perhaps maybe location isn't such a huge issue right now. Yeah. People maybe not necessarily like on your front door. Um, Awesome. So thank you so much, Ashley, for having this conversation so, today I think you've just been brilliant um where can people find you um how can we support you so I'm mostly on Instagram at at body image underscore therapist you can find all of my links in my bio there and I also want to do a sneaky plug um I have a book coming out in April of 2021 so that's combining art therapy and creative approaches to um, help you find acceptance in your body and just general body image I would love to talk with you about that book and because I felt like we did not get to chat about art therapy today there's so much we could have spoken about and I'd love to talk about that with you so we'll definitely have to do that we'll definitely have to do that again Um, so is do you know when it's going to be available for pre-orders do you know roughly time um, I'd say it will be open uh, probably in a one or two months or so. But if you follow me online, you'll definitely see that pre-order post go up. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm so excited for your work to be out there to like reach an even bigger audience. Um, yeah. Ashley, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. And if you did enjoy the podcast, make, to, make sure to use the hashtag trainhappypodcast, tag at trainhappypodcast tag myself and Ashley because we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and I'll see you next week bye everyone thank you bye flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.